change is key to all of this. Putting off the old person, the old way you used to do things, and putting on the new person, the way God wants to do things. But now, for the rest of the chapter, from verse 25 on, he shares with us some, some keys as to how we can do that. How can I most beneficially affect you? How can you affect me? How can we affect each other in a way that will help to bring this positive change into people's lives and into our families and our friendships and into the body of Christ so that people can see a difference and so that we really can see the Spirit of God working in our lives, making us into better people, people who are more enjoying what life is supposed to be all about. And key to all of that is the power of of language, the power of our words, what we say to each other. Earlier, as he was talking about this ministry, he called it speaking the truth in love. In other words, we all have blind spots, and we all also can, can more accurately see other people than what we can see in ourselves. So if we can see each other accurately, if we can find ways to communicate what we see in a way that is non-threatening and is loving and constructive, then we can help each other to become who God wants us to be. And that's a, that's a wonderful thing when it works. And that's how the church is supposed to function. If you give up the speaking the truth or if you give up the love, either way, it just doesn't work anymore. But here, beginning with verse 25, and let's just read through the passage. He says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Again, in verse 25, he starts out by saying, stop lying, speak the truth. We are members of one another. And this is the center of what it is to be a Christian. See, the world teaches us to lie. The world teaches us to pretend. The world breeds within us hypocrisy. Because early on, we start figuring out people don't like you the way you are. And so the way the world deals with that is you, you try to pretend to not be who you are, pretend to be what they want you to be, play a game so that you can get along with others. I mean, it's, it's all built on pretense, really. The world, the only way you're going to have a relationship with anyone in the world is if you fake it. I mean, all you guys know that. You would have never had a single date if you acted the way you really are. But 
you just you kind of learn, okay, I better, you know, I better fake it. I better try to act like I'm something that I'm not. And all of the world is built around those kinds of lies, those sorts of fantasies. Every movie, TV show promotes it. It, it makes you think that pretending is the way life is supposed to be. And yet, God has designed us so that we ought to feel comfortable with who we are. You're never going to change as long as you're pretending. As long as you don't even know who you are, as long as you can't be yourself, as long as you can't be honest, then there isn't any way that anyone can do anything that's ever going to help you. And so Paul says, even as he said earlier, speak the truth in love, now he's saying we've got to stop pretending. We've got to stop living a dual life. We've got to stop lying. We, you know, Christianity is something that works for real. It doesn't just work in a dream world. It's not designed to, okay, let's all get together and pretend to be something we're not, and then we'll be happy. That's not how Christianity works. Christianity offers you the opportunity to be yourself and for someone to deal with you right where you are. Now, that's a huge threat to the world. But for Christians, we have something called the gospel that makes that possible. If it wasn't for the gospel, then, yeah, the best you're going to do is to lie and fake it. But the reason why we can't be ourselves is because of sin. And so we have to hide ourselves. It started with Adam and Eve in the garden, even feeling like they needed to be dressed so that they couldn't reveal themselves to each other. And in so many ways, that's what we do, cover up who we really are. But the gospel says that who you are is accepted by God, that he died for what's wrong with you, that, that he loves you enough that he accepts you the way that you are, you don't have to pretend anymore. You can deal with the truth. If you know that forgiveness is guaranteed, then you're much more able to reveal yourself and what you've done and who you are. If, on the other hand, you know that you're going to face accusation and condemnation, then you're going to cover up yourself and, and not be who you are. But the church, because we're drawn together by our common gift of salvation by the fact that we've all been forgiven by Jesus Christ, the church ought to be the place where we can come and be ourselves, where we can come and not pretend, not play games. And then that sets us free so that we can begin to live our lives that way too. And so Paul says, put away the lying, speak the truth. We're members of one another. Now, Whenever you start speaking the truth, problems are going to develop. I mean, this is why most of us aren't honest. Because you experiment being honest, and it blows up in your face. You know, when you tell people what you really think, oh man, problems. And so he goes, here's the next step. Learn to be angry and not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath and don't give an opportunity, don't give a place to the devil. So as you begin to experiment with honesty, as you put your foot, your toe in the water and go, 
I'm going to try to be myself. I'm going to try to reveal myself. Understand that there are going to be times then that of great clashing and anger. Anytime you open yourself up in a relationship, chances are there's going to be an opportunity for frustration and anger. I, you know, sometimes when I talk to couples who are going to get married, I'll, I'll ask them in the premarital counseling, I'll say, so tell me about your, your last big fight. And it's really funny. Some of them look at each other and like, oh boy, you know, here we go. Others, and I love this response, oh, we haven't really had a fight. You haven't had a fight? You haven't been, if you haven't been mad at somebody, you don't know them. You know, <laughs> if you haven't, and really, if you haven't been mad at somebody, they aren't your friend. You really haven't delved into real relationship until you've been honest enough for that to bring anger forward, and yet anger can be dealt with. For most of us, anger backs us off the plate and causes us to go, okay, forget it. I won't tell you what I think. I'm not going to be myself. And sometimes when we get angry at people, we send a message to them, you know what? Go back to faking it. I don't want to hear what you think. I don't want to know how you feel. Anger isn't a sin. He says, be angry and don't sin. It's po- anger is a reaction. Anger is an emotion that comes about when two people become themselves and offer exposure and openness, and they are aware of their differences, and that becomes a threat. And anger results. Now, what healthy relationships do is they learn to work through anger. They learn that anger is always an opportunity to explore our differences and to learn more about each other and to forgive each other if we need to, as he's going to go on and say. This is a starting point. When, when the temperature rises, that's an opportunity for good things to happen in relationship. And to be angry and to run away from it is a sin. To be angry and lash out abusively is a sin. But to be angry and to deal with it, that's growth. That's relationship. Often we think, oh, you know, this this relationship can't be good because we're angry all the time. (laughs) That's, That's the raw materials of relationship. When you're open enough that you can, that passion kicks in and there are difficulties and differences, that's a real opportunity. But are you going to sin? Are you going to allow communication to happen that's going to bring healing and growth and help to the relationship? You can give the devil an opportunity. The devil wants to divide us. The devil wants us to not get together because he understands that we have incredible power when we work together with others. And so it's always in the devil's interest to cause God's people to hate God's other people and to cause people in a family to be resentful against each other. The devil loves that because when we're fighting with each other, then we're not fighting against him. We're not getting anything done. So anger presents an opportunity for us to give the devil an opportunity Or it's a great 
chance for us to give God an opportunity, a place for, to work in our lives and to help to work things out and to, and to come through those things that make us different to find out how we can help each other. Now, he's going to go on and talk a whole lot more about this, but verse 28 gets plopped in here, and it seems like, seems like it's really out of place because in 25 and 26 and 27, he's talking about you know, the way that you speak. And beginning of verse 29, again, he's talking about our words and the way we express ourselves all the way through the end of the chapter. But verse 28, this thing about stealing, you think... How did that get there? What's that doing in here? Well, it's an illustration that Paul is using that's to be applied to this situation. So he says, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give him who has need. In other words, if someone comes to Christ and they've been a thief and they've normally been taking from others, then you want to change a thief's life you give them something else to do. You don't just, ha- you know, uh, Benjamin Franklin said that, that idle hands are the devil's workshop. And it's important when you have that constructive energy that that energy be channeled somewhere. It's important for you to find something to do with yourself that diverts you from what you've been doing, which is taking from people. And now what you need to do is make it your goal to actually give to people to earn enough that you'll be able to begin to to be giving to others rather than taking from others. In other words, if you want your life to change, find out what you're doing that's wrong and find a way to channel that into what's right and constructive. There are some good principles here of keeping busy and of contributing and things like that. But we're talking about how people communicate. And this is an illustration of that. And what he's basically saying is, look, you don't just tell somebody who has an anger problem, well, don't be angry. You don't tell someone who isn't communicating in a constructive way, you just shut up. Just don't say anything. And then that's what your mom told you. If you don't have anything good to say, then don't say anything. And that's not bad, but that's only half the equation. And the truth is, most of us can't just stop speaking. But what Paul would say is, if you don't have anything good to say, find something good to say. Do something constructive. Bring yourself to the point where you are deliberately, intentionally building up others with good things that you say in the same way that a person who used to be a kleptomaniac now uses those skills to be a constructive worker and someone who is able to earn enough to support himself plus to give to others in the same way people who've had a hard time with their with their mouth and the way they communicate need to not just stop doing that but find yourself a way to deliberately do and to speak in a way that is the way that God would want you to do now he goes on to say don't let corrupt words proceed out of your mouth that word corrupt means rotten It's that which destroys, that which tears down, that which damages. He said, don't let that come out of your mouth. It might be in your head. It might be thinking it. We all do. 
It's really a bad thing if everything that comes into your head comes out your mouth. That's scary that if we, wouldn't, if we couldn't restrain ourselves at all. Every time you think something, you say it. And it's amazing how sometimes people will say what they feel and somehow they think that, well, that's the way, I'm just being honest. Don't be honest in that way. Yeah, you need to be honest, but you have to take control of what comes out of your mouth because your words are incredibly powerful. The, whatever impact you can have on this world, whatever gifts God has given you, talents and opportunities that you have, do you understand that central to all of that and, and the most powerful tool that you have in your toolbox is what you say with your mouth. You can make such a difference in people's lives with how you talk to them, with what you say to them. I bet many of you can remember things that people said to you that hurt you 50, 60 years ago, and it's still there. And it's a person, and we go, oh, consider the source. That doesn't always help. That even someone who's a bad source, they say something, and it affects you. Well, you have that opportunity. You are an essential, essentially like the computer programmer who's sitting at the keyboard, and what comes out of your mouth programs into someone else what they think and who they are and how they feel. I know that you know those of you who have raised children know this. When you hear your kids say something that you say, you know they learned it from you. It was funny, a while back, um, Eddie and Sally Eddie's our high school pastor and worship leader, and their little girl Mackenzie was saying, shut up all the time. And they were like, you know, talking to her grandparents and going, where did she get this? And I don't know. And it turns out she got it from Sally. But Sally was saying it in a different context. You know how people nowadays, if somebody tells them some good news or something, they go, shut up. Well, Mackenzie was hearing that and she was like, shut up, shut up. <laughs> when you're raising kids, they're like, these, they're like those little dolls that repeat whatever you say or like a parrot that learns to say what you... But for all of us, we have that programming ability. In other people's lives, we really do make a difference. And so he says, don't let that which is corrupting come out of your mouth, but what is good... For necessary edification, only let what comes out of your mouth what builds people up. Ask yourself before you say it, is this going to build someone up? That it may impart grace to the hearers. I love that sentence. I love that phrase. Grace. Grace is that news that Jesus Christ died for you, and because of it, all your sins are forgiven. You put your faith in him and you're clean, you're free. There's no, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It's this incredible lifting of the burden of all the guilt and everything that we are. And the great thing is it's free. We can afford it. It's already been paid for. God's grace is amazing. Well, do you understand that you have the opportunity to portray that grace to others, to convey that message of grace, that everything that you say to another person can either say grace or it can say condemnation, law. What do you say when 
Someone messes up and you told them, I told you so. Is that, do you rub their nose in it? Do you, sometimes we wouldn't really come out and say, I told you so, but the way we say, I told you so, is by asking, why did you do that? Well, what, why do you ask? <laughs> you really want to know why I did Oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just wondering what was going through your mind when you were doing No, you're not. You're not conducting some sort of study. You're asking, why did you do that? Because you want to say, you're an idiot for doing what you did. That was stupid. Shut up. But, <laughs> I mean, we have so many ways of doing it. And, you know, the truth is we need grace so much because where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. We need grace. That person sitting next to you, that person in front of you, that person in your life that drives you nuts sometimes, you know, do you understand how much condemnation they've had loaded on them? Do you understand the burden of guilt that they are carrying? Do you understand the person who's out there that doesn't know Jesus, do you know how bad they feel about themselves, about their failures, about the way their life hasn't led to what they thought it would? Do you understand how much that person even that you look up to feels inferior because they just haven't done everything that they ought to do. Every one of us, we have those little voices from our past that say, you're not good enough, you're a failure, you're a loser. We're bombarded and we're carrying all of that burden and the grace of God can be poured over the top of that and, and take care of all that and it can just set us free from all of those messages or... We can add to the burden. We can tell people who are already being lied to by the enemy, ah, you know, maybe the enemy has a point. You are kind of a loser. You are a failure. I don't think you're a good enough Christian. I don't think you really love me. I don't think you really love God. I really wonder what in the world are you thinking? The most cruel thing in the world to do is to add to the burden that someone else is already carrying. And that's why manipulative, sociopathic people know that the way to control someone is to bombard them with all of the messages that they've already bombarded themselves with all of their life and all of that guilt and all of that condemnation. And it's a cruel thing to control people by beating them down with messages like that. But it's the most powerful and liberating and freeing message that you can give to someone when you bring God's grace. There are some people that you know in your life that you know you can tell them something that you did that was a big mistake, and they're just going to go, you know, God is good, and he's forgiven you. It's, you know, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. It's okay. You know, there are some people who if you, if you do something against them, you're scared to death to let them know. I mean, think about this. Here's a, here's a good test. What if you've agreed to do something with someone and now you find out that you can't do it? For some reason, there's a conflict of your schedule or whatever. How easy will it be for you to call that person and tell them, you know, I'm really sorry, but I'm not going to be able to be there, you know, this Wednesday. There are some people who you know, when you say that, they're going to, oh... I was really counting on it. You're breaking my heart. It's, 
Uh, it won't be the same. You know what? We'll forget it. We'll just we'll cancel life this week. <laughs> I'll, I'll probably just die before it's okay. I'm all... well, some people are going to do that to you. And other people you know, they're like, if you even hint that, eh, I don't know if I, they're like, hey, no problem. No, you know, it's okay. That's all right, man. I, what, whatever, you know, whatever's best for you. I wanted to do this to bless you. I'm not, you know, you're not doing it for me. I'm, doesn't that make a huge difference to know that you can get out of stuff? That's grace. And Paul said, you have the ability to show grace to others, to impart grace to the hearers. Now, I can't personally impart grace. I can kind of act like it, but the truth is, that's not me, and nobody, I don't owe anyone anything. No one owes me anything anyway. But what I do get to do is impart the grace of God. And if the grace of God comes from me, if I'm the type of person who, if you messed up, come and tell me. Um, and you're going to see God's grace. If, if you did something, you know, there are, marriage is a great opportunity to learn grace. Because when you're living with someone, there's a whole lot of things that affect each other. There are a lot of differences that you have, opportunities for anger to pop up. But working through that anger and not sinning leads to grace if you feel like, I'm afraid, and sometimes so I, I think I usually do fairly well in this, but Anne does things a lot of times that I don't find out about until much later, Some, like somebody else will tell me. And you know, I don't look at that and go, why did you, like a while back, she, uh, we had borrowed some chairs from the church for, for my mom's uh, party and, and, uh, at our house, and, and I noticed afterwards that, you know, Anne was real proud of herself. She took the chairs back, came and borrowed the church truck and took the chairs back. And the center pillar of our garage is smashed and there's a huge crack in it. Somebody obviously rammed a truck into our garage. I mean, you couldn't miss it. You, if I was driving by, I would see it, you know? And so, but... She didn't say anything about it, so I didn't say anything about it. I just let it go. And I thought, I wonder how long before she's going to tell me that she rammed the truck into the garage. And she never did. So <laughs> she was here first service, so I didn't mention it first service. But it's funny. But see, I could go, wow, that sneaky person. Or I could go, I wonder what it is about the way I've communicated with my wife that makes her hesitant to let me know that she smashed the church's truck into our garage. You know, it's like, does she expect grace? My goal, I wish that when she rammed the truck into the house, that she would go, Dave's going to get a kick out of this. You, <laughs> notice, did you notice anything new about the front of the house? You know, but that's imparting grace. That's establishing a relationship that says, you know what, de facto forgiveness. It's, I want to encourage you. And you messed up again? Oh, well, we all mess up a lot. Grace of God. Jesus died for it. I remember one time we had some friends that 
we used to hang out with a lot. And they were over at our house and parked their brand new car in front of our garage when we lived in a little condo over in Santa Ana. And uh, they went to leave later. I didn't know the car was parked there. And we opened the garage and the door hit their brand new car and put a big crease in it. And they kind of stayed there looking at it. And their little daughter, Jody, said, oh, well, Dad, it's going to burn anyway, huh? (laughs) And we just laughed. And it's like, see how safe life is when there's grace? But how horrible life is when you not only mess up and you didn't want to, but now you have to face somebody else's wrath because of what you did. Hey, Nobody's just like intentionally messing up. But if we are going to learn to trust each other and help each other and minister to each other, we've got to make it a safe place to do that. We have to create relationships of love that allow us to speak the truth and to deal with the truth. Uh, I'm sorry to say in a lot of ways, the church of Jesus Christ just doesn't look like that. People see us as being what he describes here later as anger and malice and everything else, this should be a place where you know you come for grace, where you know you can come for forgiveness. He says, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is placed inside of everyone who puts their trust in Jesus Christ. You, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. And he's pulling for you. And he's giving you advice. And when there's a situation where your temperature is rising because of anger, someone did something that's difficult for you to deal with, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And he's going, here's an opportunity for grace. Come on, you can do this. And then when you just lash out and hurt someone that you care about, the Holy Spirit just goes, oh, That grieves him. It saddens him because he wants something better for you. and, And he can give you the opportunity to do that. The fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace, really can come forth from you. You have all of that potential inside of you. But when instead what comes out of you is that which is destructive and hurtful, the Holy Spirit's just bummed and grieved. And so he says... Don't let this happen. Let all bitterness, the word there literally is poison, wrath. That word means breathing hard. (sighs) Anger. That's when you lash out after you breathe hard for a while. Clamor. Word means noise, crying, yelling, raising your voice evil speaking, literally the word there in Greek is blasphemy. Now you go, how do you get evil speaking out of that? Blasphemy is generally saying something against God. Well, if you call yourself a Christian and the person that you're talking to is also a child of God, you're lashing out at them, you're lashing out at him. Everything that you say to anyone, you are saying to God, he's going, don't let blasphemy come out of your mouth. A lot of people who would never use God's name in vain or say, God damn you or something like that. Do you understand you're damning him whenever you're damning anyone? 
Whenever you're saying something cruel to anyone, you're, you're, you're blaspheming him. He goes on to say, let it be put away from you. With all malice, that means wanting to hurt other people, wanting to do damage to them. And be kind to one another. The word there for kind literally means to be employed, to be useful. It's like treat people like they're your customers. Like the way that you treat them is going to affect your future, because it will. The English word kind comes from kindred or relative. It means treat people like they're family. Be kind. Just be nice to each other. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiving. The same way that God forgives you, you forgive others. When you do that, Bringing grace into people's lives is the most natural thing you could ever do. Offering peace and and forgiveness, offering grace and joy and love. God says, Paul here shares with us, man, don't let what's spewing forth from you be sickening and disgusting. Have a forgiving nature. Give the benefit of the doubt. Even when you see things that you don't agree with. When I look at what's going on in our world today, I can easily get upset. I can be angry to the point of sin. Or I can bring grace to the situation. I can look at our government and just go, this is so disgustingly sickening. Or I can say, boy, you know, the sad thing is I think they really think they're doing a good job. I think they really mean well, and we really need to pray for them. We really need to see God at work, not, you know, not just saying, you know, giving up like Reverend Wright and saying, you know, God de America, you know. No. But going, God, you can make a difference here. We love you. Pour your grace out on this nation. Pour your grace on our people and, and do it through us. Help us to be so loving in the way that we engage with those who are different than we are, that we, that we minimize the anger and the level of temperature, and we can bring just a disarming warmth and grace to our families and to our church and to our society and to, to our world. And Paul is saying, you have no idea how much power you have in your tongue, in what you say, in the words that you wield. You can read the book of James, and the whole book of James is all about that. But it really starts with what you say to those closest to you, and then what you say to others, what comes out of your mouth. Can you create an environment where truth is safe? You see this when you share the Lord with people who don't know the Lord? At first, they tend to be armed for bear. You know, and, and they'll tell you that my life is fine. I'm happy the way I am. But if you accept them and you love them and you're, and, and you're not condemning to them, it's amazing how many times they will then fall down into tears and just say, you know what, I really am not so sure of myself. I, I, I hurt. My life has fallen apart. I really do need help. 
People can say that to someone that they know is going to show them grace and forgiveness and kindness. But when you're with someone that you think is going to pound you over the head, you're going to put your guard up and you're going to fake it as best you can and pretend like you're okay the way you are. Boy, what power we have at our disposal with what we communicate. And especially within the church, in the body of Christ, that we can build each other up and make a difference. Before you leave this building today, you can change someone's life by the grace that you impart. You know, it can make a huge difference. You don't know how much people need to know grace. I, in fact, turn to someone right now and just say, you're forgiven. Doesn't it feel good? Doesn't it feel good to have someone tell you that you're forgiven? Doesn't it feel good to tell someone else that they're forgiven? That's what we get to do all the time. That's what the gospel is. That's what it provides. And we can choose to either be people who bring grace into other people's lives, or we can choose to just bring nothing but anger and clamor and malice, bitterness, wrath, division. Oh, let it never be that that's what Christians are known for. Let it never be that when people see, I mean, imagine if people who didn't know Jesus were so blown away because they go, man, look at the way those Christians, they love each other so much. It's safe. If you're a Christian and you go to other Christians, you can tell them anything. And they'll, they'll forgive you and they'll tell you that you're forgiven and they'll love you. And if you don't know Jesus, you can come in and tell them you're a mess and they just go, hey, welcome home. You're forgiven. You can have a new life. That's how it's supposed to work. That's how our lives are supposed to be. But it's up to us if we're going to decide to do that or not. That's how the church works. I'm doing my job today, as Paul says, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So I'm telling you, that is your opportunity, your requirement, Impart grace to others today. If you'll do that, this will be a day of ministry. This will be a day of blessing. And you can do it in your families. You can do it at home. You can do it with strangers on the road, the way you drive. You can do it before you leave here just by giving some of God's blessing, just by saying, God bless you and really meaning it. You can gush grace on others. That works. It brings incredible change. If I am angry and someone else is loving, it's amazing how that, that love is contagious, how that grace rolls off. And that's how it's supposed to work. That's our opportunity. That's our power. It's in our words. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for what you've done for us. That because of the gospel, it's finally safe to be honest. We finally don't need to pretend anymore. Because even where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And we are thankful for that. You've 
opened the door for us to have a really great life, a life of freedom, a life of blessing. Thank you. God, help us to pass that on to others, to help others to see the gospel, the good news, and help us to tell it in such a way that it doesn't sound like bad news, that we don't sound angry and bitter as we're sharing the truth. Help us to communicate that we care because you care. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, um, it really is as good as it sounds. It's a message of grace that God has for you. Your life can start over today. You can have a fresh start. And-